The Word of God, the Holy Bible, is a treasure and a gift beyond compare. Every passage of it points to a marvelous truth that God's love for man impelled him to step out of eternity and unite with his creation in order to redeem him from sin. Jesus Christ is both the author and subject of this precious word. Join us at the Superior Word each week as we search out this wonderful gift in search of Christ Jesus. Psalm 141, a psalm of David. Lord, I cry out to you. Make haste to me. Give ear to my voice when I cry out to you. Let my prayer be set before you as incense, the lifting up of my hands as the evening sacrifice. Set a guard, O Lord, over my mouth. Keep watch over the door of my lips. Do not incline my heart to any evil thing, to practice wicked works with men who work iniquity, and do not let me eat of their delicacies. Let the righteous strike me, it shall be a kindness, and let him rebuke me, it shall be as excellent oil. Let my head not refuse it, for still my prayer is against the deeds of the wicked. Their judges are overthrown by the sides of the cliff, and they hear my words, for they are sweet. Our bones are scattered at the mouth of the grave, as when one plows and breaks up the earth. But my eyes are upon you, O God the Lord, In you I take refuge. Do not leave my soul destitute. Keep me from the snares they have laid for me and from the traps of the workers of iniquity. Let the wicked fall into their own nets while I escape safely. All right, we're going to be in, we're going to do the entire chapter, as a matter of fact, of Leviticus 18 today. It's a lot of verses, but it will not take a lot of time. It'll be an average length sermon. And uh, as I said before we started today, it's a passage that some people may want to close their ears. They may not want to uh, listen to this because it affects them personally in their lives. And uh, this book here is to be a mirror on our own soul. And we're to look at it and we're to say, am I living according to this? This is God's standard. All right. And as I said, the law of Moses is annulled. It is fulfilled in Christ. However, there is um, the truth that many of these sins, which are recorded in this particular passage, are repeated in the New Testament. Sexual immorality is not allowed at all in the New Testament as well as the Old. So let's go ahead and read this with that in mind. Then the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to the children of Israel and say to them, I am the Lord your God. According to the doings of the land of Egypt, where you dwelt, you shall not do. And according to the doings of the land of Canaan, where I am bringing you, you shall not do, nor shall you walk in their ordinances. You shall observe my judgments and keep my ordinances to walk in them. I am the Lord your God. You shall therefore keep my statutes and my judgments, which if a man does, he shall live by them. I am the Lord. None of you shall approach anyone who is near of kin to him to uncover his nakedness. I am the Lord. The nakedness of your father or the nakedness of your mother you shall not uncover. She is your mother. You shall not uncover her nakedness. The nakedness of your father's wife you shall not uncover. It is your father's nakedness. The nakedness of your sister, the daughter of your father or the daughter of your mother, whether born at home or elsewhere, their nakedness you shall not uncover. The nakedness of your son's daughter or your daughter's daughter, their nakedness you shall not uncover, for theirs is your own nakedness. The nakedness of your father's wife's daughter, begotten by your father, she is your sister, you shall not uncover her nakedness. You shall not uncover the nakedness of your father's sister, she is near of kin to your father. 
You shall not uncover the nakedness of your mother's sister, for she is a near of kin to your mother. You shall not uncover the nakedness of your father's brother. You shall not approach his wife. She is your aunt. You shall not uncover the nakedness of your daughter-in-law. She is your son's wife. You shall not uncover her nakedness. You shall not uncover the nakedness of your brother's wife. It is your brother's nakedness. You shall not uncover the nakedness of a woman and her daughter, nor shall you take her son's daughter or her daughter's daughter to uncover her nakedness. They are near of kin to her. It is wickedness. Nor shall you take a woman as a rival to her sister to uncover her nakedness while the other is alive. Also, you shall not approach a woman to uncover her nakedness as long as she is in her customary impurity. Moreover, you shall not lie carnally with your neighbor's wife to defile yourself with her. And you shall not let any of your descendants pass through the fire to Molech, nor shall you profane the name of your God, I am the Lord. You shall not lie with a male as with a woman, it is an abomination. Nor shall you mate with any animal to defile yourself with it, nor shall any woman stand before an animal to mate with it. It is perversion. Do not defile yourselves with any of these things, for by all these the nations are defiled, which I am casting out before you. For the land is defiled, therefore I visit the punishment of its iniquity upon it, and the land vomits out its inhabitants. You shall therefore keep my statutes and my judgments, and shall not commit any of these abominations, either any of your own nation or any stranger who dwells among you. For all these abominations the men of the land have done who were before you, and thus the land is defiled, lest the land vomit you out also when you defile it as it vomited out the nations that were before you. For whoever commits any of these abominations, the persons who commit them shall be cut off from among their people. Therefore you shall keep my ordinance, so that you do not commit any of these abominable customs which were committed before you, and that you do not defile yourselves by them. I am the Lord your God." In today's passage, we have some requirements which did not previously apply to the people of the world. They were things which were not forbidden before the law was given. As those things occur, and as they're mentioned, I will cite to you the applicable examples so that you can see this. However, there was a time when these things became unacceptable for the Lord's people to participate in. And the reason for this is to be explained as well. And yet, one of the laws which is mandated here is actually set aside and even mandated to be done for a certain circumstance, which will also be noted. It is a surprising thing, the law of Moses and its many commands and precepts. And without a careful, contemplative, and detailed understanding of it, one could come away thinking that there were either errors or contradictions in it. But this is definitely not so. Each difficulty we have faced has been overcome through a detailed analysis of what is presented. One truth that stands out about the law, though, is that if it were not given, then sin would not be imputed for violating its precepts. This was the case with Abraham. It was the case with Jacob. It was the case with Moses' parents. And it was the case with others along the way as well. They lived and died without sin being imputed to them for what would suddenly become offenses punishable under the law. Paul explains how this works in detail in the book of Romans. A part of that explanation forms our text verse for today. This is from Romans chapter 7. For apart from the law, sin was dead. 
I was alive once without the law, but when the commandment came, sin revived, and I died. And the commandment, which was to bring life, I found to bring death. For sin taking occasion by the commandment deceived me, and by it killed me. Apart from the law, sin was dead. But then, the law. Adam was alive apart from the law, but then came the law. It was one simple thing, but disobeying it threw the entire human race into a catastrophic whirlwind which continues to tear humanity apart to this day. There is but one remedy to the storming gale winds, and that is found in Jesus Christ. Paul understood the torment of the introduction of the law upon humanity, and he cried out for relief from the dilemma he faced. Where? Where can I turn in order to be freed from what I face? And then he found Christ. He closes chapter 7 with wonderful words of release for us to consider. He says, I find then a law that evil is present with me, the one who wills to do good. For I delight in the law of God according to the inward man, but I see another law in my members, warring against the law of my mind and bringing me into captivity to the law of sin which is in my members. Oh, wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? I thank God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then with the mind I myself serve the law of God, but with the flesh the law of sin. Sexual sin. It is something that many of us have faced. Maybe some of us are still secretly facing it. It is certainly something every single one of us must deal with. Perversion is plastered openly on the internet, on TV, and even in open society as we head down the roads of life. It is something terribly enticing, and yet it is even more destructive. And like all sin, it never satisfies. It simply leads us down a spiraling eddy from one level of perversion to the next. The word is not silent on the subject, and so neither may we be silent on it. Instead, it is a theme which is prominently detailed in his superior word. And so let's turn to that precious word once again. And may God speak to us through his word today. And may his glorious name ever be praised. I have just two thoughts for you today. The first is words of law. It's verses 1 through 23. Verse 1, Then the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, The words which lie ahead are words of law, and thus Moses alone is the addressee. What will follow are words not of ritual and ceremonial pollution, but instead they concern the moral state of life in regard to holiness. So far in Leviticus, the idea of ceremonial uncleanness and its accompanying remedy has been noted. Now begins moral uncleanness and its penalty. Many of the laws of this chapter concern domestic purity, and thus they are laws which are appropriate for conduct, even though the law of Moses is now set aside. In following them, there will be happiness and purity in the home. In not following them, discontent and moral perversion becomes evident, and maybe a bullet in the head when you get caught doing some of these things. This is all the more true because the writers of the New Testament continue to warn against sexual immorality, and Jesus' words on the final page of Scripture warn against it as well, stating the following, "'Blessed are those who do His commandments.'" that they may have the right to the tree of life and may enter through the gates into the city. But outside are the dogs and sorcerers and sexually immoral and murderers and idolaters and whoever loves and practices a lie. 
the sexual perversion which is being thrust upon society in general and upon the church in particular in the recent past is wholly, wholly contrary to Christian conduct and it is to be rejected. Sex has been ordained by God to be between a man and a woman who are in the bonds of marriage. That is the extent of what is biblically acceptable for us to follow. From the words of this chapter, this will be made perfectly evident. The Lord sets his standards for sexual conduct in contrast to the practice of the surrounding nations who are engaged in all sorts of unnatural, perverse practices. Verse 2, speak to the children of Israel and say to them, I am the Lord your God. Two thoughts are to be derived from these words. The first is that what follows is intended for the entire congregation. Speak to the children of Israel. It means that all are to hear and all are included in what follows. The words of the Lord proceed through the human lawgiver, Moses, to the ears of the entire congregation. The second thought is found in the words, I am the Lord your God. This is a phrase that has been spoken only once so far in the book of Leviticus, in verse 1144. They are again being reminded that Jehovah is sovereign over them. They had agreed to the words of the covenant. They had agreed that Jehovah would be their one and only God, and they had placed themselves under his complete authority, including all things forbidden and all things commanded. Three times in this chapter, he will repeat, I am the Lord your God, and three times he will say, I am the Lord. The reminders are to call attention to the people that it is Jehovah who is directed, and his directions are in contrast to the workings of those of the other nations. This is then noted with the following words. Verse 3, according to the doings of the land of Egypt where you dwelt, you shall not do. And according to the doings of the land of Canaan where I am bringing you, you shall not do, nor shall you walk in their ordinances. Egypt is the land that they had left. Canaan is the land they were heading to. Egypt was destroyed by the Lord upon their departure. Canaan's destruction is promised to occur upon their arrival. The gods of those lands were thus shown to be nothing in comparison to the Lord, and the practices of the people allowed under their gods were not to be practiced. The words, nor shall you walk in their ordinances, means exactly that. To walk in the Bible indicates life conduct. To walk according to the ordinances of Egypt and Canaan were to be to conduct their lives as these defeated nations had conducted their own lives. As Egypt pictured the bondage of Satan, and as Israel was brought out from that bondage, they were not to return to its practices. As Canaan signifies the land in which these redeemed will dwell, even while walking in this world, so the Lord's redeemed were not to re-engage in the practices of the world. These two thoughts, leaving Egypt and dwelling in Canaan, are seen in Paul's words. Here's what he says first from Ephesians 2, this is Egypt. And you he made alive, who were dead in trespasses and sins, in which you once walked, Egypt, according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit who now works in the sons of disobedience, among whom also we all once conducted ourselves in the lusts of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, just as the others. And then from Canaan, Ephesians 5, verses 3 through 7. But fornication and all uncleanness or covetousness, let it not even be named among you, as is fitting for saints. Neither filthiness, nor foolish talking, nor coarse jesting, which are not fitting, but rather giving of thanks. 
For this you know that no fornicator, unclean person, nor covetous man who is an idolater has any inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. Let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of these things the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. Therefore, do not be partakers with them. Verse 4, you shall observe my statutes and keep my ordinances to walk in them. I am the Lord your God. The contrast is now set. There was Egypt, and there will be Canaan, and there is the covenant of the Lord. This expression, you shall observe my judgments and keep my ordinances, bears emphasis, and it is set in direct contrast to the ordinances of Egypt and Canaan. In essence, he is saying, you shall observe only my judgments and keep only my ordinances. The mishpat, or judgments, are an extension of his justice. They are right, and they are intended for the good of the people. The chukah, or ordinances, are those things prescribed by the Lord as fixed patterns of conduct for right living and proper order. With the observance of these determined, he again repeats the reason for this. I am the Lord your God. I am Jehovah, and I am your God. Your walk will be as I direct, because I have brought you out of Egypt. And we have covenanted together that you will walk in obedience to my precepts henceforward. And there is a good and a blessed reason for this. Verse 5, you shall therefore keep my statutes and my judgments, which if a man does, he shall live by them. I am the Lord. If Leviticus 11 verse 44 contains the central theme of the book of Leviticus, which says you shall be holy for I am holy, Leviticus 18 verse 5 contains certainly the main logical reason for this and the promised outcome for walking in holiness. It is such an important verse that it is incorporated into the thoughts of Genesis 2 and 3 and it is substantially repeated several times both in the Old Testament and in the New Testament. In Genesis chapter 2, the Lord gave a command which promised death if disobeyed. The implication then is that life would result through obedience. Here's what it says. And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, Of every tree of the garden you may freely eat, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat, for in the day that you eat of it you shall surely die. In Genesis 3, because of man's disobedience to the Lord's law, access to the tree of life by which man could live forever was denied. Death entered the world. Now a promise is made that through obedience to this law, the man shall live. Many scholars pass this off as meaning live happily or live a higher life or maybe possess true life and so on. That is not at all what is being relayed here. It is a promise that if a man keeps the requirements of the law, he will live and not die. On the flip side, if one does not keep the requirements of the law, he will die and not live. The Lord is dwelling there in their presence. Access to him is restricted because of the sin nature of man, but also because of the law itself. But in fulfillment of the law, access would naturally be granted once again. It could not be otherwise. The law is given to give life. If life is promised, then it must be granted. If one doesn't die then he continues to live. If he lives forever, then he has eternal life. This is the implication of the words, and it is solidified by the use of a definite article in front of the word man in the Hebrew. It does not say, if a man does. Please correct your Bible. Put the word the in front of man. It says, if the man does. 
If your Bible doesn't have thee there, then it is incorrect. The King James Version is incorrect. It says, the man does. This verse is looking forward to Christ, the man who in fact did keep the ordinances and judgments of Jehovah, and he thus possesses eternal life. This is exactingly explained in the book of Romans, but elsewhere in the New Testament as well. Christ fulfilled the law, and thus the law is fulfilled. In him, life is granted. If you are looking for access to restored paradise and to the tree of life, you need look no further than Jesus Christ. He is the man who did. <laughs> Nehemiah verse 929 refers to this verse after the people's return from their punishment of exile. Ezekiel 20 repeats this verse three times, showing that the failure to keep the Lord's law is what resulted in that punishment. Paul then cites this same verse twice in Romans 10 verse 5 and in Galatians 3 verse 12 to show that Christ who fulfilled the law of Moses is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes in him. It is faith in his completion of this law that grants eternal life. He did the work. We must do the believing. And so now, with the promise of life made, the laws of the Lord, which began in earnest in Exodus 20, with the giving of the Ten Commandments, now continues here once again. As I said earlier, the laws which follow are moral in nature, in obeying what is stated, either as a command under the law of Moses or a precept of holy living in the new covenant, many troubles will be avoided. Verse 6, none of you shall approach anyone who is near of kin to him to uncover his nakedness. I am the Lord. The Hebrew here uses two words which essentially both mean flesh. None of you shall approach anyone who is she'er besaro, or flesh of his flesh. Although nearly synonyms, the first is certainly flesh as in nearness. I am the same flesh as my father. The second word is flesh in substance. We are all made of human flesh. The prohibitions here are based on the first word, she'er. Sexual relations stated by the term uncover nakedness in near family relations is prohibited. It has to be noted that this was not something that could have been implemented at the beginning. When the human race was getting started or when it was expanding after the flood, it was necessary for kin to be intimate. Even Abraham married his own half-sister. However, the Lord is now mandating this for his people in order to ensure proper functioning of the family unit and strengthening of the greater societal structure as well. In the family, a brother cannot perform both the role of a brother and the role of a husband in the most effective manner. A mother could not be a mother and a wife to the same man and perform both roles effectively. In society... The strengthening of family occurs when a man and a woman join together. There is a new unity which strengthens the overall community in such marriages. The Lord's intent is for the protection and strengthening of both. To ensure that they realize that this is from his wisdom and at his direction, he then once again states his name, Ani Yehovah, I am Yehovah. From here, three classes of forbidden intimacy are given. One, relations through blood. Two, direct relations by affinity, and three, indirect relations by affinity. Verse 7, the nakedness of your father or the nakedness of your mother you shall not uncover. She is your mother. You shall not uncover her nakedness. 
The word or here is incorrect. King James Version, New King James Version, error. The second sentence explains the first. It should say, the nakedness of your father and the nakedness of your mother you shall not uncover. As the father and the mother are one flesh due to their union, a son sleeping with his mother would then uncover both her nakedness and the father's. This then is further defined by the next verse, verse 8. The nakedness of your father's wife you shall not uncover, it is your father's nakedness. A man is not to have sex with his father's wife, even if she is not the person's mother. This would then also uncover the father's nakedness. It is something that actually occurred when Reuben, the eldest of Jacob, slept with Bilhah, his father's concubine. Absalom also slept with his father David's concubines in 2 Samuel chapter 16. It also occurred in the early church, as is recorded in 1 Corinthians chapter 5. Paul fully condemned this occurrence. Verse 9, the nakedness of your sister, the daughter of your father, or the daughter of your mother, whether born at home or elsewhere, their nakedness you shall not uncover. Intimacy with either a whole sister or a half-sister is forbidden. This particular law was violated by Amnon, the son of David, when he went into his half-sister Tamar in 2 Samuel chapter 13. Verse 10, the nakedness of your son's daughter or your daughter's daughter, their nakedness you shall not uncover, for theirs is your own nakedness. Intimacy between a man and his granddaughter is forbidden. Interestingly, nothing is said of a man and his daughter, as was the case with the son and his mother. Some believe that this was a part of this verse and it was accidentally dropped from the original. But that's only scholarly guessing and there is no evidence of that. Verse 11, the nakedness of your father's wife's daughter, begotten by your father, she is your sister, you shall not uncover her nakedness. This verse here is actually rather complicated. If it is as the English reads, then it's simply a repetition of what was said in verse 9. That would make it superfluous. One opinion is that verse 9 is speaking of the son by a second marriage, but this verse is speaking of a son by a first marriage. A second opinion is that an error has crept into the text in verse 9, and so it is speaking of a full sister, whereas this is speaking of a half-sister. A third option is that this is referring to what is known as a leveret marriage, where a man performs the duty of bearing a child, or the wife actually is bearing for the man, but he sleeps with the woman for her to bear a child for a deceased brother. That is outlined in Deuteronomy 25, verse 5. If such a relationship occurred, the two families would be near of kindred, and marrying the daughter of a woman who had been given a child by the son's father would then violate that near family relationship. That is what's going on here. That is what's most likely. I am not a favor of claiming textual error just because a verse is difficult. It's an easy way out of complicated matters. In the end, the nearness of the relationship is what is being spoken of here. Verse 12, you shall not uncover the nakedness of your father's sister. She is near of kin to your father. One was not to have intimacy with one's paternal aunt. Having said that, Moses himself was the product of such a relationship. His father married his aunt, and Moses, Aaron, and Miriam were born to this union. Thus, one can see that this particular law is a divine statute rather than a natural moral law. This is evident because no prohibition is extended to one's niece. Rather, it was an accepted practice in Israel for a person to marry one's niece, such as when Othniel married his niece Achsah in Joshua chapter 15. 
Verse 13, you shall not uncover the nakedness of your mother's sister, for she is near of kin to your mother. As with the previous verse concerning the father's sister, a man was likewise forbidden to be intimate with his mother's sister. Verse 14, you shall not uncover the nakedness of your father's brother. You shall not approach his wife. She is your aunt. Some interpret the first sentence to mean that a man was not to commit sodomy or homosexual acts with his uncle. That is not at all what is speaking of here. Sodomy was forbidden in all cases and at all times. It is a perversion of natural order in all circumstances, Old Testament and New. Rather, the second sentence explains the first. By having intimate relations with a wife of an uncle, the person uncovered the uncle's nakedness. Keep thinking, they're one flesh. They're considered one flesh. So if you sleep with your aunt, you're in essence uncovering his nakedness. It's the same thing as what we talked about with the father earlier. Verse 15, you shall not uncover the nakedness of your daughter-in-law. She is your son's wife. You shall not uncover her nakedness. In Leviticus 20, verse 12, the penalty for this is death for both offenders. It uses there a word, tevel, which is found only there and in verse 23 of this chapter. When speaking of bestiality, it indicates confusion. For a man to sleep with his son's wife is a confusion of the natural order. In Ezekiel 22, verse 11, it is shown that this abominable practice was not unknown among the Israelites. Verse 16, you shall not uncover the nakedness of your brother's wife. It is your brother's nakedness. This must be taken in the proper context of the Israelite society. If a brother died and the wife had no children, the brother was under obligation by law to go into the widow in order that she might bear a child in her dead husband's name. The instructions for this are found in Deuteronomy chapter 25. However, this was an exception mandated by the Lord to preserve the family line. Any other intimacy would pervert the line. This law was actually broken by Herod Antipas, who took his brother's wife as his own in Matthew 14. Verse 17, you shall not uncover the nakedness of a woman and her daughter, nor shall you take her son's daughter or her daughter's daughter to uncover her nakedness. They are near of kin to her. It is wickedness. If a man married a woman who already had children, he could not afterward be intimate with either her daughter or one of her granddaughters, either through a son or through a daughter. As they were of the same flesh as her, such was considered wickedness. The word used to describe it is a new one in scripture, zima. It comes from zama, which means to plan. Thus it is an especially bad plan, even a work of mischief. Verse 18, nor shall you take a woman as a rival to her sister to uncover her nakedness while the other is alive. This prohibition stands only during the life of the wife. Should she die, then a man might marry the sister, but not while the wife was alive. The reason for this is because polygamy was acceptable under the law of Moses, and it is something not forbidden under the new covenant except for anyone who is an elder or a deacon within the church. Other than those two exceptions, Paul never comments on such a matter. He lets society determine the rules of marriage in that regard. But though polygamy was acceptable in Israel, it did not include the marriage of two sisters. The lesson of Leah and Rachel proved to them that only enmity could result. Thus, the Lord uses the term sarar or adversary to describe the matter. Think of the two women getting on and fighting about it. That's what's being described here. Verse 19, also, you shall not approach a woman to uncover her nakedness as long as she is in her customary impurity. 
No intimacy was to occur during the time of a woman's period. Ezekiel notes this as one of the crimes of the people of Israel, which led to their exile. Verse 20. Moreover, you shall not lie carnally with your neighbor's wife to defile yourself with her. Here a word is introduced to ensure no mistakes were made. It is shekobet. It means specifically intercourse. Thus, this is an explicit description of a violation of the seventh commandment concerning adultery. Violations of this precept are recorded in both testaments. Verse 21, And you shall not let any of your descendants pass through the fire to Molech, nor shall you profane the name of your God, I am the Lord. Umizarcha lo titen la ha'abir la molech, and your seed no give to Passover to Molech. The Hebrew word translated as descendant here is zara. It simply means seed. The words the fire are inserted by the translators. This is the first mention of the Ammonite god Molech. The name simply means king. What this verse is speaking of is not as easy to determine as one might think. As the word seed is used, and as the term the fire is inserted, one must go forward in scripture to assume that this means burning one's children as an offering to Molech. Further, it would then be a giant departure from the tone of the entire chapter, which is speaking of sexual intimacy. Therefore, This is probably speaking of a perverse offering of intimacy to the idol Molech, where the man's semen is made an offering, either to a prostitute of Molech or to the idol itself. This type of sexual intimacy is still practiced by both sexes in cultures of the world today. I've seen it in Japan. There's a certain rite that goes on every single year in Japan, and if you saw pictures of it, you go, what are they doing? Okay? Anyway, later in scripture, offerings to Molech by Israel will actually take on the form of human sacrifice through fire. Whatever the practice is, whether sexual perversion or actually burning a literal descendant, it is spoken against in the sternest manner possible by saying, nor shall you profane the name of your God. By making an offering to Molech, the name of Jehovah would be profaned. Thus he ends with, Ani Jehovah, I am Jehovah. Molech is a false king. Jehovah is their true king. Verse 22, you shall not lie with a male as with a woman. It is an abomination. Though this is a precept of the law of Moses, it is also something which is shown to be perverse, both before the law of Moses and which is considered as such in the New Testament as well. Despite modern teaching by many apostate churches, this is, and it continues to be, a vile practice which is wholly incompatible with proper human sexuality and the commands of both testaments. The same is true with the next verse. Verse 23, nor shall you mate with any animal to defile yourself with it, nor shall any woman stand before an animal to mate with it. It is a perversion. As I said above, this is the first of two uses of tevel or confusion in scripture. In this practice, there is an unnatural mixing or confusing of the order which God created and ordained. As will be later seen, such infractions were punishable by death. It is contrary to holiness and normalcy, and so it is forbidden to be practiced by the Lord's people. For now, it is warned against because it was something known to have been practiced in Egypt, and it was an abomination that would be seen again in Canaan. Lord God, your word is written, Old Testament and New, and the words are clear concerning sexual sin. There is intimacy we may enjoy and other things we may not do. One will bring us life, by the other 
we are done in. But the lines are blurred even in our church today. People call evil that which is right and good and that which is perverse is given a resounding, it's okay. How can something so clear be so hugely misunderstood? Lord God, keep us from sexual immorality, which does defile. Keep us on the narrow path where life and health is found. In paying heed to your word, we shall receive a welcome smile. And in your presence, joy and peace shall evermore abound. Lead us, O God, be near and watch over us. We come to you, O Father, through our Lord Jesus. Our second thought today is words of warning. It's verses 24 through 30. Verse 24, do not defile yourselves with any of these things. The chapter began with five verses of preamble, admonishing the people to pay heed to the instructions of the Lord. The chapter now ends with seven verses of warning concerning what has been presented. If the warnings are not heeded, the expected punishments for disobedience are also given. Verse 24 continues, for by all these the nations are defiled, which I am casting out before you. The Lord refers to exactly this in 2 Chronicles 33 in reference to Manasseh, king of Judah. Exactly this verse is referenced to there. In Genesis 15, the Lord spoke these words to Abraham. But in the fourth generation, they shall return here, meaning Israel, for the iniquity of the Amorites is not yet complete. The time has come. The long suffering of the Lord towards the people of Canaan has ended. The land has become utterly defiled, and now after over 430 years, there will be a change in ownership. Here he sets a direct challenge to the people. He uses the same word here concerning the defilement of those other people, which he had just used in warning to them. Do not defile yourselves. By all these, the nations are defiled. The promise to Abraham will be fulfilled, certainly and speedily. The Lord has spoken that he will cast out the inhabitants before his chosen nation. But the warning is given first. Verse 25, for the land is defiled. Again, the same word, tame, or defiled, is used. Not only are the people defiled, but the land itself is defiled. Therefore, from the land itself, a reaction necessarily results. Verse 25 continues, therefore, I visit the punishment of its iniquity upon it, and the land vomits out its inhabitants. Now imagine that. Think of America today with the perversion that's been going on in this country. Think of it. When man fell, creation fell. When man's final restoration comes, so there will be restoration in creation. The land is subject to the moral conduct of the land's inhabitants. This is expressly stated to Israel elsewhere. When they live properly and according to the law of the Lord, the land will yield its blessings. When they live improperly, the land will suffer the divine visitation of the Lord, so much so that it will actually vomit out its inhabitants. This is now the very first time in Scripture that kol, or vomit, is used. It will be seen eight times, but three of them will be in this chapter. In this, the land is personified. It will respond to the Lord's divine visitation and do so by vomiting out its miserable inhabitants as if they were a stomach virus or putrid food. Verse 26, you shall therefore keep my statutes and my judgments, and you shall not commit any of these abominations, either any of your own nation or any stranger who dwells among you. It has been expressly stated that the people of the land are defiled because of their abominable practices. The Lord has likewise told them that they are to keep his ordinances and judgments in order to keep from defilement. 
The implication here is if they do, they will not be cast out of the land as those who are there now will be. However, these laws apply not only to them, but to anyone who dwells among them. Should they fail in this, then the land will continue to be defiled and it will again vomit out the offenders. Divine judgment will fall regardless of how the righteous live. If the unrighteous are in the land, it can be expected. This was true at Noah's time, it was true in the first exile, and it was true in their second exile. And it is proven true in nation upon nation upon nation as well. Verse 27, for all these abominations the men of the land have done who were before you, and thus the land is defiled. The thought in this verse is quite similar to that of verses 24 and 25, but there the admonition was for the Israelites to not do what was done by the present inhabitants of the land and thus defile themselves and the land. Here the inhabitants of the land are specifically said to have committed these abominations, thus defiling the land. The reason is important, and it is explicitly explained next. Verse 28, lest the land vomit you out also when you defile it, as it vomited out the nations that were before you. This is now the eighth time in this chapter that the term defile is used. Israel can and would become just as defiled as the people of Canaan if they didn't pay heed to the warnings now given. And the land could and would vomit them out just as the present inhabitants would be vomited out. The Lord is making no distinction, zero, between them and the people of Canaan here. Instead, he is highlighting the similarity between the two. Further, the idea of them being vomited out actually accentuates the situation in comparison to Adam's expulsion from Eden. There, he was driven from Eden. But here, the Israelites would be more violently vomited out of their own promised land, Verse 29, for whoever commits any of these abominations, the persons who commit them shall be cut off from among their people. This verse refers to all people individually. In order to keep the community free from defilement and in order to maintain their status in the land and to not be vomited out as promised, those who commit any of the infractions mentioned in this chapter were to be cut off from among the people. As will be shown later, some were to be stoned to death, some would face divine judgment, but all were to be excommunicated from the community and driven out from among the people. Verse 30 finishes our verses today. Therefore, you shall keep my ordinance so that you do not commit any of these abominable customs which were committed before you and that you do not defile yourselves by them. I am the Lord your God. The word translated here as ordinance is mishmeret. It should be translated as watch or charge. Once again, error in the King James Version, error in the New King James Version. It's an incorrect translation. The people of Israel are being told to stay awake, be alert, and not allow themselves to fall into error by failing to be attentive to the Lord's charge. This then is a summary of all that has been said. In keeping the Lord's watch, they will not allow corrupt people to come in stealthily and infect the whole. This in turn would keep them from being defiled. And this, in turn, would keep them as a nation from being vomited out of the land. One thing will inevitably lead to the next. In the end, without attentiveness, there will only be defilement leading to disaster. And disaster is certain if defilement occurs. The final words, Ani Yehovah Elohechem, I am Yehovah your God, are the same words which introduce this section to the ears of the people of Israel. Now they close out the same section. They are a signature of finality. 
The Lord is present, he is watching, and so the people are likewise to watch. Sounds exactly like Revelation 2 and 3, where the Lord is watching the churches, right? The choice is theirs, but the laws are his. When the two conflict, Israel will be on the losing end of the deal. And the same is true with the church. Though this passage, like many more to follow in the near future, are somewhat lacking in Christological pictures, Christ is there nonetheless. He is there as the man who did fulfill this law. He is the man who then accepted the punishment for all violations under this law for those who would be willing to trust him with their eternal souls. He is the man who then died under this law, which he fulfilled, taking it to the cross with him. Thus the law died with him. And he is the man who rose again in order to justify those who have trusted him. But the Lord has not stopped calling us to holiness. The same idea of sexual purity in Israel is also expected in the church. Though the law of Moses is annulled through his work, his moral standards are set and they are repeated in the writings of the apostles. Land was defiled by people both before the law came into effect and it was defiled by those under the law. The land continues to be defiled by the same perverse acts today. And the worst part of the matter is that the church, the church, we see it in update after update after update. Scotland, Ireland, America, Australia. The church has begun to take the lead in both accepting and even promoting these vile actions of sexual impurity. And this leads us to the final use of the word vomit in scripture. It is in Revelation chapter 3 to the church of Laodicea. So let's take a moment and read that right now. This is Revelation chapter 3. I'm going to start in verse 14. And to the angel of the church of the Laodiceans, these things says the Amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of the creation of God. Remember, this is the Lord speaking. If we're sitting in a church and we say we honor the Lord, we honor the Christ, we honor the Messiah, we honor the Savior, it's only because we have this document to tell us about him. Without this document, there is no Lord Jesus for us to know, right? This is what tells us about him. This is our instruction manual. And he spoke these words. Are we going to take these and pull them out and throw them away and say, we're going to do what we saw in the prophecy update today? Is that what we're going to do? I know your works, that you are neither cold nor hot. I could wish you were cold or hot. So then because you are lukewarm and neither cold nor hot, I will vomit you out of my mouth. Exactly what he promised to Israel. He's promising to his own church because you say, I am rich. Think of these churches around America that are wealthy and rich and have all of this prosperity and so they have nothing to do but fool around with each other in bed, right? You're wealthy and have need of nothing and do not know that you are wretched, miserable, poor, blind, and naked. I counsel you to buy from me gold refined in the fire that you may be rich and white garments that you may be clothed that the shame of your nakedness, Leviticus chapter 18, the nakedness, the nakedness, it says it 15 billion times in this chapter, do not commit sexual immorality. The shame of your nakedness may not be revealed and anoint your eyes with eyes of that you may see. As many as I love, I rebuke and chasten. Therefore, be zealous and repent. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and dine with him and he with me. To him who overcomes, meaning putting their faith in Jesus Christ, 
To him who overcomes, I will grant to sit with me on my throne, as I also overcame and sat down with my father on his throne. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. (sighs) Not just localized lands, but the entire earth has become defiled. The true and faithful church has retreated to almost a remnant in comparison to the false, wicked group who claim they are a part of the body. Judgment cannot be far off, but until it comes, we must do our part to maintain purity within the churches that we attend. We must provide the world with a view as to what they are doing wrong so that when we're gone, because the Lord is coming for his true church, they will have some sense of what is expected of them because they certainly don't know the Bible. They must turn to the Lord, refuse the mark of the beast, and be willing to give up their own lives in order to gain what is true and eternal life. But we would hope and pray that any listening to this message now would be wise enough to turn and to call out to Christ even before that time of worldwide judgment comes. Christ Jesus is the answer, and he can bring your heart defiled by sin to a right state once again. But you first must call out to him, and I would suggest you make it today, because it cannot be far off. Exactly what the Bible said in Ezekiel 38, as we saw today, is coming true before our very eyes in the land of Israel, Syria, Iran, Lebanon, Russia, Turkey, Libya. This alliance is forming, and it is coming. And I can't believe that the rapture is going to be either on one side or other of that battle. It is coming It is in our lifetime that it is coming, and the church will be gone. And those people that hold to this perverse stuff are going to be sitting in their churches saying, but we thought you were love. Well, God is love, but God is also holy. He is just, and he is righteous, and he does not tolerate our sin pushed into his face. We must get this word out. The time is short, so please call on Christ All you need to do is say, I know I can't save myself. I know that this is God's word, and I'm going to be obedient to it. I'm going to live for Christ as best I can. I'm going to receive him right now, and as he gives me the strength, I'm going to live for him. But you can't be a Christian unless you have called on Jesus to save you. Being saved implies from something. You're saved from the sin in your life. Call on Jesus. Our closing verse comes from 1 Corinthians 5, exactly what Jim read earlier. Remember that? Here we go. It's verses 1 through 5. It is actually reported that there is sexual immorality among you and such sexual immorality as is not even named among the Gentiles that a man has his father's wife and you are puffed up and have not rather mourned that he who has done this deed might be taken away from among you. For I indeed as absent in body but present in spirit have already judged as though I were present him who has so done this deed. In the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, when you are gathered together along with my spirit, with the power of our Lord Jesus Christ, deliver such a one to Satan for destruction of the flesh that his spirit may be saved in the day of the Lord Jesus. Sexual sin is not something that we should be promoting in church. I think of all these churches in Scotland, Ireland, England, Australia, we keep seeing it week after week. They keep saying it's okay, LGBT, promote this perversion, and it is ruining the next generation, one person at a time, and the church is leading the cause. Next week is Leviticus 19, 1 through 37. 
Lots of people should have been stoned or jailed. It's entitled, In This, Israel Failed. That'll be our 32nd Leviticus sermon. Pay attention because read, go read all those verses this week sometime. Every single one of them is recorded somewhere in the Old Testament as having been broken. You wonder why he gave the law? Paul explains it in 1 Timothy chapter 1. Let me read it to you before we close. 1 Timothy chapter 1. How do I know this? Because I typed it this week. I'm in 1 Timothy doing the devotionals, and it just came to mind. People are always saying, I want to be back under the law of Moses. I want to be super holy, and I want to observe this, and I want to observe that. And you're not a good Christian because you don't do the feasts of the Lord and this and that. Here's what it says. It says, um, well, we know that the law is good if one uses lawfully, knowing this, that the law is not made for a righteous person. Who is the law for? but for the lawless and insubordinate, for the ungodly and for sinners, for the unholy and profane, for murderers of fathers and murderers of mothers, for manslayers, for fornicators, for sodomites, for kidnappers, for liars, for perjurers, and if there is any other thing which is contrary to sound doctrine. Oh, but I'm going to observe the law of Moses and God is going to be happy with me. He's happy with this right here. The shed blood of his son atoning for our sins and us saying, I accept that. That's what he's pleased with. The Lord has you exactly where he wants you. He has a good plan and a purpose for you. Even if you have a lifetime of sin heaped up behind you, he can wash it away and purify you completely and holy. So follow him and trust him, and he'll do marvelous things for you and through you. Okay? Long poem today, Laws of Physical Intimacy. Then the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, these are the words he was then relaying. Speak to the children of Israel and say to them, as I now proclaim, I am the Lord your God, so you shall pay heed to my name. According to the doings of the land of Egypt, where you dwelt, you shall not do. And according to the doings of the land of Canaan, where I am bringing you, you shall not do such too. Nor shall you walk in their ordinances. You shall observe my judgments and my ordinances keep to walk in them. I am the Lord your God. Is it blessings or cursings you wish to reap? You shall therefore keep my statutes and my judgments, which if a man does, he shall by them live. I am the Lord, and these instructions to you I now give. None of you shall approach anyone who is near of kin to him. So now I say, to uncover his nakedness, I am the Lord. You shall not act in this way. The nakedness of your father or the nakedness of your mother you shall not uncover. She is your mother. Her nakedness you shall not uncover. The nakedness of your father's wife you shall not uncover. It is your father's nakedness. It is his and not for another. The nakedness of your sister, the daughter of your father or the daughter of your mother, whether born at home or elsewhere, their nakedness you shall not uncover. The nakedness of your son's daughter or your daughter's daughter as to you I address, their nakedness you shall not uncover for theirs is your own nakedness. The nakedness of your father's wife's daughter, begotten by your father, heed the words I express. She is your sister. You shall not uncover her nakedness. You shall not uncover the nakedness of your father's sister, as you know. She is near of kin to your father. Near her, you shall not go. You shall not uncover the nakedness of your mother's sister as well, for she is near of kin to your mother. Pay heed to the words I now tell. You shall not uncover the nakedness of your father's brother also. You shall not approach his wife. She is your aunt. Near her you shall not go. You shall not uncover the nakedness of your daughter-in-law. Heed this address. She is your son's wife. You shall not uncover her nakedness. 
You shall not uncover the nakedness of your brother's wife. This you shall not do. It is your brother's nakedness. Pay careful heed to the words I instruct to you. You shall not uncover the nakedness of a woman and her daughter. Refrain from this. Nor shall you take her son's daughter or her daughter's daughter. Such a thing is truly amiss. To uncover her nakedness as to you I address, they are near of kin to her. It is wickedness. Nor shall you take a woman as a rival to her sister. Such a thing you shall not do. To uncover her nakedness while the other is alive, pay heed to the words that I instruct to you. Also, you shall not approach a woman to uncover her nakedness as long as she is in her customary impurity. This shall not be done as to you, so I express. Moreover, you shall not lie carnally with your neighbor's wife. This you shall not do to defile yourself with her. To your neighbor, you shall be faithful and true. And you shall not let any of your descendants pass through the fire to Molech, according to my word, nor shall you profane the name of your God. I am the Lord. You shall not lie with the male as with a woman, my holy nation. It is an abomination. Nor shall you mate with any animal to defile yourself with it. Nor shall any woman stand before an animal to mate with it. It is perversion. As to you, I now submit. Do not defile yourselves with any of these things, for by all these things are defiled the nations, which I am casting out before you for committing these abominations. For the land is defiled, therefore I visit the punishment of its iniquity upon it, and the land vomits out its inhabitants for the perversions they did commit. You shall therefore keep my statutes and my judgments and shall not commit any of these abominations. You shall not do either any of your own nation or any stranger who dwells among you. For all these abominations, the men of the land have done so to you, I say, who were before you. And thus the land is defiled to this very day. Lest the land vomit you out also when you defile it, if these things you do, as it vomited out the nations that were before you. For whoever commits any of these abominations, the persons who commit them, such I will repay, shall be cut off from among their people. Pay careful heed to what I say. Therefore, you shall keep my ordinance so that you do not any of these abominable customs commit, which were committed before you, and that you do not defile yourselves by them. So to you, I now submit. I am the Lord, your God. You shall in holiness before me trod. Yes, it is so. You are the Lord, our God. And to you we owe all heart and soul. You have brought us from the wayward path we trod and have instructed us in a life of self-control. We were defiled by sin, even the sin of the flesh. We walked in a manner contrary and impure. With the world's ways, our lives we did enmesh. Judgment was looming. But then came the cure. You sent Jesus to cleanse us from sin and defilement. He fulfilled the law and then offered himself for us. Upon his cross, all your wrath was spent. Thank you, O God, for our Lord Jesus. For him and through him, we shall give you all of our praise, and we shall do so forever, even for eternal days. Hallelujah and amen. amen. Heavenly Father, yes, we do thank you because... I'm sure many people in here can quietly look back in their minds of their own lives and say, I've done that, or I've done that, I've done that too, and yep, I did that. We've all done things that we should not have done, and the, the most personal one of all is the sin of sex. Paul speaks of that way in the New Testament as well, telling us that when we sin with a harlot, we're sinning against our own body. Lord, help us to be wise in this walk of ours. Help us to conduct our lives in holiness and in purity and to accept your word as the 
inspired word that it is, holy, infallible, and here to guide us unto all righteousness. Help us in this, Lord. And Lord, we certainly pray for those that we mentioned at the beginning of the service and for all who are suffering any sort of debilitating effects in their lives right now. We would ask that you would be with them, help them through it, then bring them back to a state of happiness and prosperity. And if that's not your choice, we know that you will take them to a place of happiness and prosperity. So we win either way, Lord, in your presence. All we ask is to be relieved from the the pains and the trials and the process. Lord, we love you. You are so good to us, and we thank you for this word. We thank you that we got through this passage, and I hope that somebody will learn something that will bless them, that will edify them, and help them in their spiritual walk towards you. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. And before I get up to uh, give you the Lord's Supper, a couple things. Just so you know, I said something in there that some of you are going to email about or say, I want to talk to you about that. And so I'm just going to preempt it right now. As I said, uh, uh, polygamy is only forbidden in the New Testament for elders and deacons in the church. It says they shall be a husband of but one. Well, we know there was polygamy in the Roman Empire. We also know that people have been evangelized in Africa that had many wives. And they were never told you have to divorce those wives. Paul left that up to the culture, just as Israel was its own culture. Polygamy is forbidden in America, and so we're not to be polygamous, okay? But that is one of the precepts of the Bible that we have to accept as written. If they have polygamous relationships in Africa and they are evangelized, that's the way it is. The Bible says nothing about it except for elders and deacons. So if you see somebody in Africa that's an elder and he has two wives— He's disobeying the Bible, right? Everything in context, everything belonging to where it should belong. Secondly, this was a very hard sermon for me to give because it's an embarrassing thing to talk about, but it's something that's part of the Word of God, and I must give it. I'm under obligation to offend when offense is needed. Anybody that is not willing to hold to the whole counsel of God is not entitled to sit in the pulpit. And every preacher should preach on this passage at one time or another in their life, and how few ever will. And thirdly, Joanne, thank you very much for the snacks today. That was wonderful of you. Thank you. We were very nice of you. So here we go. We're going to move this over to uh, communion. Zoop.